Lonely Monk Productions. I don't know if y'all have heard Dickhead Blues by Kara Jackson yet, but yo! That's my joy! That's my joy! What's good, friends and family, neighbors, near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. John Carlo Esposito, a.k.a. Nate 3.0. Back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. On today's episode, I am joined for a chat by singer-songwriter Andrew Duhon. We talk about his music, New Orleans, and his latest album, Emerald Blue. And that's coming up in a minute. But first, hello my friends! I hope you are all doing well. You know, spring is here, the sun has been out, and guys, I have been wearing shorts. <laughs> yeah, man, I am loving it. Well, things are about to get a little bouncy here for the next few weeks as we head into May. So let me just say right now, do not be mad at me if the release schedule gets a little wonky. I've got my big risk show coming up on the 27th of April at Caveat in New York City, and I've been doing a lot of work piecing together my story for that. And that's been taking up some time. And, you know, right around the corner from that is my gosh dang 46th birthday on the second. Oh, yeah, it is. And that whole week, I have a full dance card of tunage with the non-com convention at WXPN. And then following that, I cap the week off with a weekend of Dave Haas's Sing Us Home Festival on the 5th and 6th, where I am so excited to see Dave and our other former guests, Catbite and the Tisberries, rock out Maniunk alongside everyone else on that epic lineup. Tickets are still available for that one, so be sure to snag those. And then, Sunday the 7th at the Sellersville Theater, today's guest, Andrew Duhon, will be taking the stage, and I am trying to end a week of incredible music with more incredible music. Not to mention that day, I'm recording episode one of a new project that I'm producing that I can't wait to share with you. And something else enormous is happening that week that I can't talk about just yet. But I am so incredibly excited to share it with you as soon as I can. Yeah, man, busy like a bee, pals. So, again, if the release schedule gets a little silly for the next few weeks, just know that it's for a good cause. But the best way to stay on top of everything, be it release schedule or any other information about the show, is to get yourself on the mailing list. Visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com and sign on up to get them sweet updates delivered straight into your inbox. Or, you know, you can click the link in the show notes here wherever you are listening to this. And as always, you can find us on all of the socials at Yo That's My John. Okay, a quick break, and then we will return with my conversation with Andrew Duhon. Stick around, we will be right back. Do you like storytelling? 
Or do you like me? Well, join me on April 27th at Caveat in New York City on the Lower East Side as I share a true story from my life on the show Risk. Created and hosted by my former guest and my pal Kevin Allison, Risk is the live show and weekly podcast where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share in public. And here's a tip. Tickets are available now for $18 if you purchase them in advance or, you know, $20 at the door if you wait until the day of. Can't make it to New York but still want to catch the show? Well, the night is being live streamed via Stellar and those tickets are only $15. Visit www.risk-show/tour for more details. That's www.risk-show/tour. Hope to see you there. My guest today is a singer-songwriter whose warm, earthy, confident voice and his musical storytelling evokes the everyman swagger of Jim Croce's Bad, Bad Leroy Brown and the plaintive beauty of John Prine's Angel from Montgomery. His latest album, Emerald Blue, is an 11-song collection written during the uncertain lockdown of the pandemic. He will be performing at the Sellersville Theater on May 7th at 8 p.m. Folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show, Andrew Duhon. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Andrew Duhon. Andrew, thank you for joining me on Yo, That's My John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is a new word for me and a new podcast and the whole thing. Yeah, John is like this Philly specific thing that like um actually entered the dictionary within the last two years or something okay. like that. So it's like we 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 finally made it. We did it, you know, like yeah. because you know, there's this thing about um I, I don't know how deep into um reading about all of the different social algorithms uh, you are, but one of the things that has come up is that um it a lot of the algorithms will mark down uh made up words. So mm-hmm. if it if it's an unrecognizable word, it it kind of thinks of it as like spam or something like that. So I've been fearing that John is so specific to the area that it might knock me down in the algorithm. But now that it's in the dictionary, it's like validation. Oh, good, it, and it is in the dictionary. It is, it is. Okay. I think Marion Webster uh, added it maybe last year or the year before. So oh, great. Did, do you happen to know what the definition is? So this is the weird thing about it. Um, yeah. It it can mean anything you want it to be. Um, it's right. literally used for any person, place, or thing or idea. Like, you know, it can be, you know, you can be talking about someone like, uh, yo, that John over there. Or you can, you know, it's literally anything you want it to be. It's it's like the most um, uh, um, uh, imagination word ever. <laughs> Got it. It's like like a, it's loosely synonymous with like jam or jabroni. Maybe to exactly you know, put those together. That's exactly right. Um, one of the reasons I'm really, uh, I was really excited uh, listening to the album and stuff like that is uh, I literally uh, two weeks ago just got back from New Orleans, and oh, so yeah. and so uh, Castle and Irish Bayou. Like I'm like I know I know what this is. I know this. Uh, like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah, previous that trip. Previous to that trip, I would have been like, "Oh, you made this up, or it's about an Irish bayou somewhere." But no, that's. <laughs> I like that it can just be, a, you know, a metaphor, unless you know that it's not. You know, that works. Yeah, that definitely, works definitely. Yeah. So uh, let's jump in the way back. You know, we're talking about uh, New Orleans and stuff like that. Sure. Where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in the Burb. Uh, grew up in Metairie, uh, which is you know ten minutes from where I live 
now in the Irish Channel in New Orleans. And, you know, it was suburb life. I was, you know, riding my whatever was just under the GT dyno. You know, I didn't have the GT dyno. I had whatever the, you know, Schwinn comparative thing was. But, yeah, riding around and, and playing baseball. And uh, I didn't really pick up on how special a place New Orleans proper was. You know, we'd go to the French Quarter on the weekends. and But, um, you know, older, getting older and into junior high and high school years, it started to dawn on me. And then, you know, doing some travels and recognizing, well, this place is kind of singular. And it has... It has something that that breathes and moves and, you know, it has a soul. And uh, and then, you know, of course, Hurricane Katrina, I think, did a lot for all of us to kind of hitch up and, and look each other in the eye and say, you know, as New Orleanians, there's uh, there's something that we all need to kind of celebrate and protect, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, speaking of Katrina, like I always I, there's. Whenever there's some kind of very bad um, uh, disaster or something like that, uh, you know, 9-11 is another example, or, you know, even smaller hurricanes, large storms up here, uh, you know, blizzards and stuff like that. There's a sense of community that kind of um, occurs that, like, is one of those, you know, silver linings or beautiful things that come out of something so dark because it's like a connection piece. It's like a shared trauma and, like, strangers become family and 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 i i wish there was a way to kind of harness that in 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 a positive way oh, yeah. for you know positive events and stuff like that mm-hmm. but yeah. but the but that's one of the things you know down there visiting that that like i really kind of sat in and took in was that that sense still kind of lingers down there. Like there's still that mm-hmm. feeling of, of, you know, maybe not, maybe not total brotherhood, but like that sense of pride and that sense of understanding that like we made it through, you made it through something catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, the, the, the days when, when the newscasts wanted to talk about, you know, maybe New Orleans isn't worth saving or, uh, or, you know, it, it, that felt, asinine i think to most new orleanians but but looking at aerial footage of every street flooded and the destruction you did kind of wonder how do how do we move on from this you know and the answer is one step at a time but uh but yeah there were a lot of questions and and they were just they were all they were all answered by what you're talking about just you know helping each other out and um, I agree with you. I, I wish personally I was the kind of neighbor who stopped and talked to my neighbor more often. You know, I'm, I think uh, I love that idea, but I think in practice I'm a bit more introverted and, uh, and, and something in my like post-Catholic guilt mind says, oh, they don't, they don't want to talk to me right now. You know, uh, I don't want to bother their day. But uh, but then there's those moments when the power's out, even when a, there's a near miss. You know, we used to call them hurricane parties. And I think it's probably not too soon. We call them hurricane parties again. But when you when the storm is going to pass and it's a near miss, you know, we, we, we're we going to get power out and some down trees. But there's not going to be, you know, any real serious harm. Those are the times when you walk out of your house and you talk to your neighbors. You know, this this time. of Well, there's nothing else to do. And and we do want to you know, have a little community moment. It's almost like a check-in. And then in that way, it's almost like a welcome check-in because we don't do it enough. 
you know? Thank God the power went out because now we can all talk to each other, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, it, it gives it gives us a chance to pause and take a break mm-hmm. and just kind of live in the same space that we do without distraction. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there's uh, I'm sure it's the same with a lot of cities or, you know, maybe New Orleans. This is it has its own singularity in this, too. Sure. Like the Mardi Gras and the Jazz Fest and uh, the festival season, you know, it's coming right up. I think this weekend, in fact, is French Quarter Fest in New Orleans and then it's Jazz Fest. You know, you can't. You can't make a weekend in New Orleans without some festival element going on. And, and all of those feel like community celebrations, you know, plenty of tourism as well. But but uh, if you're a local and, you you know, you see the who's who, there is a sort of it, it's a check in, too. So I suppose it doesn't have to be near tragedy or the power going out. We do have those moments that are kind of set in the calendar, too. Definitely. You know, one of the things that um, I got to take in uh, when I was down there is um, the kind of uh, the Wednesdays in the Park series that they're doing. Where is that like Jefferson Square or something like that? That's right. Um, uh, and it was just l- exactly like you said, like the energy there, you know, a free show um, with people engaged, you know, it, like mm-hmm. it's it's very frequent that I'll go to like a free show uh, around here and no one's really kind of paying attention to the actual music that's going mm-hmm. on. People are kind of just there to because it's the thing to do you know but like people seemed really engaged not just with the music but with each other and the vendors mm-hmm. and stuff like that it was beautiful i really i absolutely love that city of yours and uh, i yeah. will definitely be visiting again sometime i love that you caught that one in particular because i when i you know you uh, you're a musician as well yes correct? yeah yeah so so i do a lot of closing of my eyes when i perform i just maybe it's the like uh, closing off one, you know, input just to make sure the, you know, the hands are doing the right thing on the guitar and the vocal is trying to stay roughly intonated. But when I do close my eyes and I sing a, a particular song, many of them have particular places that my mind goes to. You know, I, I go maybe to that particular street or to that particular room where I had that particular conversation with that particular gal, you know. Um, but, uh, Wednesdays at the square is where I go when I sing a song called street fair. And it's, uh, it's not a, a heavy song. It's kind of a celebratory song that I wrote after Katrina, uh, about the camaraderie that I felt in, you know, dancing with strangers, uh, in new Orleans. And, and I, I go to Wednesdays at the square when I sing that song. So I'm glad you, glad you caught that one. I feel the same way about that festival and, and several, uh, or that event and several, of those sorts of events in New Orleans. Yeah. No, oh, it's awesome. That is so beautiful. So, uh, when you were like growing up, like what kind of, you know, obviously New Orleans is, you know, steeped in jazz and whatnot, but what was playing around the house? Like what were your folks listening to? Yeah, I remember. Uh, well, okay. So my father, um, you know, I'm not, um, it, it didn't come from a lineage. My father doesn't play any instruments and he can't really dance. So it's not him. Um, and then my mother, she played some piano, and she loved the Dances with Wolves uh, sheet music, a theme song to Dances with Wolves. And uh, but what's so, what's so vivid to me is now that you know I play music, I recognize that she not only didn't have a sense of time, she didn't care about the time. She would just play the chords and read the sheet music, and then get a little closer to make sure she's getting that chord right. And it wasn't even like a, 
trying to get better at it. That's how it always was, you know? Chord, chord, check that sheet music. Chord, chord, chord. You know, and and that's just how that that was the the song in in the house uh, each time. So in terms of you know people playing music, that was the extent of it. But uh, I also remember there were two cassettes that would all, always stick around the stereo, um, and they were Cat Stevens' greatest hits, which you know that adds up. Mm-hmm. And the other one was Michael Jackson's Bad. <laughs> okay, all right, you know. I, I there might, I, so there there might be a uh, there might be a pop album that pops out of you like a uh, or you know I guess if pop is just short for popular I hope there's a popular album in there somewhere I don't know you there know? we go there we go um, when did when did you start playing did you did you start on on that piano or oh uh, well mom sent us to uh, my sister and I to to piano lessons and uh, I remember not enjoying them. I remember trying to be taught sheet music, uh, you know, before we were even musical, you know, we, we hadn't really made any music or figured out how to make music. We just, we were learning how to read sheet music and what a half note and a whole note was. And, and that was just cumbersome. And, uh, and, uh, you know, eventually my sister and I mutinied against those lessons. Um, but in teaching myself guitar in in high school, that was easy because, uh, you know, you can pull up chords online and, and uh, all it takes is two or three to start feeling like you're creating music that you recognize. And I think that, you know, that's a lot more enjoyable. That'll that'll keep you going. Whereas, you know, learning the treble and the bass clef and forgetting where each of them go for too long, you know, that's a tough process. You got to, I think in learning, you, you want to start being musical as soon as possible, you know, in, even in the simplest forms, can you, can you make music that sounds good to you? And then that'll push you to keep going. I would think. But definitely. Yeah. Definitely. You know, uh, I've, I've told this story on here before, but I'll tell you, cause you've never heard mm-hmm. this, but uh, I used to work uh, <laughs> at the cash register at a, a music store called Stewart's music in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. And uh, mm-hmm. the, um, the owner, Jim Stewart used to give lessons in the back. And, and, you know, as a teenager, I was just hired to kind of cover the register while he was back there. And uh, so I would like hear him like teaching kids how to play, like Mary had a little lamb and stuff like that. And, you know, go through all of the Mel Bay books and, and, and mm-hmm. try to, you know, learn sheet music and stuff like that. And meanwhile, I was like out in the store picking up guitars and teaching myself how to play like over the hills and far away and stuff like, you know, like (laughs) I was jumping straight into like this, you know, just just every rock song that I ever wanted to know because of that. Like, I can't tell you how many people I saw like come through and like end up quitting because they're like, Mm. I've been here for two months and I'm still playing, you know, nursery rhymes and stuff like that. Whereas, whereas, you know, if you start, if you start and someone teaches you like, just like you said, two chords and all of a sudden, you know, you like, you get the two right chords, you're, you're playing Jane Says by Jane's Addiction, right? And all of a sudden mm-hmm, you're like, oh yeah, my God, yeah. I'm a rock star, you know? Like, <laughs> That's it. Can you yeah, remember, yeah. can you remember the first song that, that you could play? Um, I'm certain that I printed out some Hootie and the Blowfish chords, you know, what was that one uh, with, with just, it was just G, C, and D, I'm sure. Let's see, it would have been uh you know like, uh, let her cry uh, yeah, yes yes that's the one yeah <laughs> yeah let her cry 
Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, that was, that was early on in the game. I'm sure, you know, that's awesome. Um, were, were you like me? Did you like join a band immediately before you could even truly master that instrument or were you, uh, no, in fact, I still think of myself as, as, uh, uh well, I, you know, I'm, always going to be learning how to play this instrument because I think, you know, a musician and a songwriter, I want to be clear to all the listeners out there. I consider those different things. You know, there is a musician and there is a songwriter, a songwriter like myself. I, you know, it, I, I stand by, I believe it was Harlan Howard who was a writer back in the day in Nashville who said, all it takes is three chords and the truth. And I love that. And I consider myself, you know, a three chords and the truth kind of guy. Now I want to expand on that. And it's because I've been encouraged by three chords and then they get tired to your ear and you want new colors. Right. And so you find new ways to find new colors. Um, you know, so, um, uh, uh, what was the question I was just answering? <laughs> Yeah, uh, it started with, um, did you jump right into a band or did you end oh, see, yeah, up being solo? Yeah. yeah. And I didn't answer that question at all. So, right. <laughs> uh, no, I, I never really joined a band. It was always me in my room figuring out first, you know, how to play some country songs or some booty songs or Wonderwall or, you know, the usual. Uh, and then I started to wonder you know, what would my own song sound like? And, and hearing on the Bob Dylan documentary, No Direction Home, I think it's Scorsese did it. And one of the uh, journalists, I believe he was, who was in the Greenwich Village folk days, he said something like, um, there was so much going on back then that someone would say, Ornette Coleman is playing tonight. And he would ask them, he would say, oh, does Ornette have something to say? And I loved that. I loved uh, that question, you know, and, and that I immediately turned that question on myself. Do I have something to say? And I've been asking myself that ever since, you know, uh, what do I have to say? Um, I, I, I want to lean on the lyrics, you know, uh, and I will forever be on the journey to figure out what it is I have to say in a song, you know? Yeah, I, that's actually, that's so beautiful. You know, like, uh, uh, I, I very much relate to that, you know, like, uh, uh, anytime I've gone through any form of writer's block, it is along those lines of like, I, I, I don't have anything to emote right now. And I don't have anything mm -hmm. that I'm trying to, to communicate or, or shout out to the world or anything like that. And, but when it comes, it comes, you know, mm -hmm. and, and then there's, you know, the other thing that like, um, uh, and you know, it sounds like you gave yourself the permission to speak and to, and to mm. share that, which I think is a big step that, you know, a lot of people kind of, you know, you, you, you self-proclaimed as a bit of an introvert, you know, that's like, mm -hmm. that's like giving yourself that permission to not just, you know, start writing that, but then to start sharing it and performing it. That's, that's huge. Like, uh, yeah. did, when, when did you start, did you start at like coffee houses and stuff like that? Was that your, uh, your outlet? Yeah. Yeah, there were open mics uh, during college, and I would do those. But but some of those were so cover driven that you know I just wanted. I, I was, it was far too early early for me to feel like I have these songs and I want to share them. I, I I didn't necessarily feel that way about what I was trying to put together. You know, my own songs. 
So uh, uh, an open mic where everybody played covers was fine with me. I just, I wanted to start playing or, you know, I, I think I was also pushed along that route by friends. I probably had, I'm certain that I had, you know, misgivings, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily natural or given that someone who feels like they want to write songs by themselves in their bedroom is going to feel okay about approaching a microphone with a light on it. You know, that's, that's something else. And, and that's where it ain't so simple is, is, uh, you might decide that you have something to say and you might decide that you're ready to share it with someone and maybe they encourage you and you want to share it with more people, but then, you know, it's easy to start thinking about, you know, why, why, why do I, why is my voice amplified right now? Literally amplified, uh, you know, and, and having misgivings about that until you continue on that journey, uh, um, and I think I think the thing that keeps you buoyant in that is the is one person at a time telling you that a song mattered to them, you know, that they felt something in your song. So I think maybe the first step is, you know, when I when I closed my eyes and I sang that song and it made me feel something. And, you know, somehow I pushed myself in front of a microphone and then people started to tell me that they felt something. Okay, you know, now, now, you know, now I'm interested in, now it's not a soliloquy, now it's a conversation, you know, it starts on the microphone, and then it continues when you get off stage, and you talk to someone about that feeling you were just talking about, you know. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. What, um, like, uh, uh, how long were you um, doing kind of the dance of I don't want to share this music, like, uh Man, um, I'll, I'll say that I'm, I'm feeling better about it as of like last week, maybe. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, I think it's, it's, it's a journey that continues, um, you know, imposter syndrome being part of it. Um, but, but somewhere along these lines, you know, I would say five or six years ago, um, I think the wanderlust and the, the desire to just go and travel, which started, you know, right when college ended, you know, I wanted to get in my car and sleep in my car. If I had to hotels were out of the question, you know, either find a buddy with a couch or, or sleep in the car, just go try to make gas money to get to the next place and, and play some songs out there. And, um, but yeah, somewhere along those lines, there was there was enough feedback, like I was telling you, that that person to person, one at a time, and then and then the ticket sales start to become a thing, you know. And now you don't have to play in the bar with the sport games that are on, you know, in the corner, and you're selling a ticket to a place. I think I think that's sort sort of you know encouragement that your self doubt can't deny that these people bought a ticket to come see you. And, uh, that, that started something, you know, in me, it helped me believe that I'm not just passionate in this for myself. I think I'm passionate in the part where it connects with someone. And then we share that connection, even just for a moment. Thank you for hearing it. 
Um, thank you for telling me that and letting, letting those sentiments from those people, letting those people know, uh, that they, their encouragement is the fuel in the tank that keeps it going, you know, because yeah. if you don't, you know, there, there, you could just, you could, I'm sure you could just be the kind of artist who doesn't need that. Maybe, maybe that exists, but I, for me, it, it, it is about connecting. Absolutely. You know, that was one of the things that like, um, you know, you, you said about, you know, the jump from playing in a, in a bar to playing a place where someone's buying a ticket, like making that leap to a stage where, you know, the person in the audience is there to listen to music and isn't just they're not just hearing you because they're forced to because, you know, the mm-hmm. bar paid you to be there or, you know, right. or, or, you know, you're, you, there's a possibility that you're an annoyance and that they don't want, they don't want you to be playing as a, you oh, know, yeah. that, that leap, I feel like if you get there, like you can, you can hit the ground running because like once you start feeling that kind of, um, that kind of, adoration of of someone who is appreciative of what you're presenting like that's that's that unlocks so much you know yeah oh and the only the only thief of joy at that point is the adage you know the the comparison to you know the person who's 10 times as big as you and and you know i'm not saying i i certainly have ambition you know i i see i see opportunity you know the ceiling high above me you know, but in the meantime, it does feel really sweet to, you know, have a calendar in front of me full of dates and uh, a trio that enjoys being on the road as much as I do. And knowing that we're going to go out there and connect with people and keep getting uh, further clarity on what we're doing. And, uh, and there's also the, the cyclical process of those travels inspiring could just be a line, you know, something I'll jot into my phone. I used to do it in the pocket notebook, but I left too many of those in cabs. I'm like the, you know, the Hansel and Gretel. I've got enough stuff left behind that I could probably find my way back. But, um, but uh, you know, just just writing those thoughts down, and and that's a nice moment too. When that when that becomes a complete circle, maybe you wrote a line down. Uh, and for instance, on this last record, there was a song called down from the mountain and it was about it was inspired by a camping trip after a tour in colorado went up the mountain near winter park came back down wrote the song and how special is that to go back to winter park and say you know point to the mountain say you see that thing went camping last time and i wrote this song it's you know that's a that's a nice moment yeah a nice nice thing to bring back it's a beautiful journal, you know, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's a snapshot. It's, it's, it's a way to capture that memory. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, sonically be able to recall that, you know, like just to create yeah. something to, to, it's like a time machine. I always, I always like to say, mm-hmm. you know, music to me is like a, a good song is a good time machine, you know, and, and can put you right in that spot for good or for bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's, that's, that's it. And, um, and, and, you know, I, I will, forever enjoy sad songs uh whether i you know am sad or not and what is that i well there's a here's another adage for you i like uh, a good song has to cost you something uh, mm. as a writer right mm. and I, I love that and i and when i feel like a line or a song costs me something to say i feel like i'm on the right track to something 
um, uh, that might be powerful uh, for someone else and for me. Um, but I, you know, when I, 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 when I feel that as a listener, you know, I, I feel like the songwriter, it costs the songwriter something just to write these, these lines, you know, and that's, that's my favorite kind of lyric. That's my favorite kind of song is when that is very clear, you know, like this cost this person something to say, you know, and to help us be connected in that way, because I feel it too. And I didn't think to say it that way. I didn't feel the same thing that person felt, but I feel what they're saying, you know? Definitely. You know, uh, I had a guest on here, uh, Laura Liscano, and she uh, has, you know, this this album that she just put out and it's, it's got a lot of really personal stuff on it. And I was kind of, you know, asking her about like performing those songs live and what that's like. And, um, you know, because like, uh, I don't know how deep I went into it with her, but like for me, I've written songs uh, like that. And I, ju- I, I just, I cannot perform some of them live. I just can't do mm. it. Like I wrote it to kind of emote that. That feeling because I couldn't keep it inside, but also I've tried to perform them and like it, it can go really bad, you know. But um, in, in what she, way? Um, just um, that kind of like I said, the time machine thing. Like if it puts me in that, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to get out of it. And I and I don't yeah. mean it like I can't play the song, you know. It just yeah. it it changes the t- you know. I have to be careful because it, it can very easily change my mood and my tone and then affect the entire rest of the set. You know, mm-hmm. um, which would make sense. You know, it makes me understand why there's songs that, you know, it's like, oh, that band never plays blah, 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 blah. You know, <laughs> like, why, why did they never do that? And there's probably a good reason for it. But one of the things she said is and the way that she processes it. And I don't know if she came up with this or she read it somewhere. But she said, um, you have to sing from a scar. You can't sing from an open wound. And I was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, but that that totally sums up like what I love about music. Music. I love music that comes from the that shows its scars, you know, that you mm-hmm. it shows a life lived. Uh, and, and that's where I feel like the good stuff is. And I feel like your stuff, man, is just like it. You can feel it like it, it, you can feel where it comes from. And, and it, a lot of it, you know, is um, your voice. You have just such a beautiful, soulful voice. But the lyrics as well, man, like just tying them together, you you, you paint such a beautiful uh, palette uh, with with lyrics and sound man and uh, like mm-hmm. i absolutely appreciate that like did, did it take you a while to kind of find your voice like that or absolutely and thanks for hearing it but um i i uh yeah i remember when i started i was in one room you know as far as i could get from you know the rest of the family and i could hear my sister kind of giggling and it was like involuntary my sister's not a mean person lovely person but you know, it was funny to her hearing her brother trying to sing, probably, you know, out of tune and, you know, intonation horrible, right? But yeah, I, it, it was clear that I wasn't like a natural, you know, I, I had to find my voice in more ways than one. Um, so, you know, the, the guitar felt right because cowboy chords, you know, once my fingers could put up with the strings, they felt good and and then you're working on changing from chord to chord and that's goes slow and you're frustrated, but no, all of it just felt natural. And somewhere along the line, it became clear enough that, that the voice, the vocal was good enough 
to, um, you know, not get in the way of the lyrics and, you know, deliver, deliver the lyric believably. And once again, then it's just about what do I have to say? So I feel lucky to have, you know, opened up my mouth and found the vocal, you know, and then it's just about finding the voice, so to speak, the, the story, the, yeah. What, what do we sing now? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you definitely found some things to sing, my friend. Uh, so, so when, when, when did, um, you know, um, when, when were you finally ready? Like what, how, how did, uh, songs I wrote before I knew you, uh, like mm-hmm. how, how did that leap come? Like, were you just, did you, did you just have the songs that like you knew you were like, all right, this is a collection. Let's, let's lock this down. I have a cool story. Let's see. So I was going to my favorite open mic night in new Orleans. I had kind of whittled them down and decided the one that was, you know, worth my time every time. Uh, and I would go every Tuesday was at Carrollton station, uh, which is in the river bend area uptown. And, you know, I would say 10 to 12 songwriters would show up each time. And there were, you know, there were the usuals and the newcomers and there was a nice little songwriter community there. Uh, so there I was, you know, the usual open mic and a fella takes me, outside after the set and introduces himself and he says uh well i got a bar on trapatulas and i came here looking for somebody to play at my bar and i was about to leave and then you started playing and i wonder if you'd play at my bar every wednesday and what you'd charge for that and i thought oh well this is cool um i mean this guy seems like a pro and i should probably give him you know i should probably seem pro myself by giving him a real number so i i, I said 150 bucks <laughs> You know, and uh, and he said, why don't we make it 250 just so you know, I'm serious, you know, about this, which was kind. And and uh, let's see. So two gigs into this weekly Wednesday, he leans over his bar at the set break and he says, OK, now I want to know, how do I invest in you? And I said, well, I I don't know, but but my guess is would be that you would invest or, you know, fund a record in exchange for records sales, you know, a a private record contract. And neither of us knew how to do that, but uh, I have to shout out Loyola University and a couple of professors there, John Snyder and um, uh, uh, George Howard, who gave up their office hours to a kid who, you know, went to the state college because it was free. I didn't even go to Loyola, Um, but they were willing to sit down with us and help us figure out what a private record contract looked like. And, uh, and we signed that thing and every year we get together and split up some money and we never look at the contract, which is exactly what you hope for from a contract. But you know, what else is, I, it seems like to me, like uh, that would often end with a winner and a loser, you know, had that record never made a dollar, I would have been the winner because I would have been able to make a record with way more money than before, you know, or, you know, otherwise, but uh, instead, I think we both won. I couldn't have made that record without his funding and he has won from that record. Um, So, and, and he's become a friend, you know, it's, it's a nice deal. So that, that was how I made my first record, at least dollars and cents wise, but his funding allowed me to uh, approach who was the only producer who had, moved me at that point from production. I, you know, I knew nothing about production. I knew nothing about making a record, but I had made a a couple of demos with my cousin who was an audio engineer and Ben Lorio, 
uh, and I were sitting at his console after, you know, my, you know, measly little demo session. And he pulls up some tracks on MySpace. I will have, you know, that's where we were. That's how long ago this was. Um, pulls up some tracks on MySpace and starts playing them. And I said, Ben, I don't mean this in, you know, a, a, a critical way, but I, I'm curious why, why isn't what we're doing? Why doesn't it sound like that sounds? And he kind of, you know, he rolled his eyes and he said, Oh man, it's because Trina Shoemaker produced that. And I said, who's Trina Shoemaker? You know, what's a producer, uh, the whole thing. But, uh, but you know, that, that not so distant memory was made it clear what I should do at that point. I should write a letter and print it out is what I did because I felt, I don't know, I should have handwritten it. What was I thinking? But, uh, I put it in a manila envelope with the demos and, uh, you know, sent it to Trina Shoemaker and she called me and said, said she thought the songs were lovely and she'd be happy to make my record. And, and, uh, so we made that first record and then we made two other records since, I guess I have four, four full records out and she produced three of them because she just feels like she understands. She certainly understood that, young songwriter who didn't know how to record you know she took me under her wing back then and i couldn't have made a better you know version of myself snapshots not something i want to listen to at this point you know but i think it's probably true of a lot of people but yeah she helped me make the best record i could make at that point and i'll you know forever be indebted to uh her thing what she does as a producer you know on all the records that's incredible, uh, you know, because that was actually going to be my uh, my follow up question was how how that connection came together. But like, it's all mm-hmm. like, what was it um, in those MySpace songs that you heard? Like, do you remember who they were? Who it was? First of all, I like, do. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was Shannon McNally uh, is a songwriter from Oxford, and she actually sang on that first record. Uh, here's a good story about Shannon. In fact, speaking of of your, you know. Uh, what I like to call sad bastard songs. And, yeah. and, you know, sometimes on stage, you're not ready because they're open wounds. I had a song called coming down over here on that record. And it was an open wound. And for that reason, I wanted it to be somber. And, and the baseline was, was itching me the wrong way. Cause it, it was moving a little bit too much, but Trina being, you know, a producer with wiser ears than mine, uh, you know, was pushing it in another direction. And Shannon came in to, to sing harmony on that. And, uh, and Trina asked Shannon McNally, what do you think about this bass line That's kind of moving this song. Do you, you know, Andrew's still a little heart busted about it. And maybe, you know, maybe we got to take it down a little bit. And Shannon looks at me and she says, man, don't cry in public, man. (laughs) (laughs) So we kept the bass line, uh, you know, a little bit more forward, which is, you know, I think probably the right call. I'm certain, you know, that was the right move. Now, you know, being an older man and uh, and knowing that you can you can have as much blood in the lyric as you want and still make choices about the song. You know, I'm I'm not I, a songwriter does one thing and a poet does another, and there are you know similarities but the fact that it is a song means that you have choices you can make 
and and they're all valid if they make you if it feels right to the creator you know try it all out you know see what see what moves you you know yeah, you know, you you try a different brush or use a different color, mm-hmm. and you yeah. know, it, you know, it doesn't have to match that feeling. You know, it, it can just be something of its own and something beautiful. And I think that's an, an another thing of growth that, like, you know, having the ability to to let those things go to become something else to become its own thing. It's almost like being a parent, or I would assume I don't have any children, but th- it seems like what it would be. <laughs> you know, like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you gotta you gotta let all the pieces moving around, and some of them just don't belong to you, you know. The because they did in in the room by yourself when you wrote that song, all the pieces belong to you. But it's kind of like when you and you know what you can you can make the whole record with just your vocal and a guitar into your own recording setup and say that's it. But when you enter the studio with other people and you put those songs through the the wires and into the knobs and you start considering the vast world of possibility, you know, it's probably a good idea to take some chances just to see, you know, but then it ain't that simple because studio time costs so much. You you might want to do some pre-production, you know, in a, you know, the studio that doesn't charge such a day rate, but, uh, but yeah, taking, taking some chances and, and gosh, what did that see? That's a, that's an interesting place uh, because there, there, there are the choices that we, that we all know, the kind of the stock songwriter record that we hear probably coming out of Nashville 50 times a day, not, not the Nashville pop radio thing, which, which is its own template, but I'm talking about the songwriters like myself, who go to Nashville. Uh, in fact, the the record before the last was called False River, and I went to Nashville to make it with Eric Massey, and uh, he calls his studio the casino. He says because he gambles with artists' careers when he makes oh, a geez. record. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why I hired him, because he told me that on the phone on our first phone call, and I said, okay, I like this guy. Um, but, but, you know, we sat down and he, he said something to that effect that there's 50 other songwriters making a record in a garage, just like we are in Nashville right now. And we can make that record or we can just try to make a cool sounding record. You know, we can take some chances. Um, but it, it's still fascinating to me to hear records that have a vibe and a feel uh, all their own. You know, choices were made, chances were taken. And, and they worked somehow, you know, but swimming in that, that sea of possibility when the song is still blooming and every move you make could make it wither or bloom more. And, uh, uh, that's, uh, that is about taking courage in the creative process, you know, and learning not to be too precious is something else that I've, I have had to figure out and, an important part of where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what, what is, do you, do you like studio work? Are you, or, or are you more like, a, or do you like the live road stuff more? Mm. The live road stuff is nice because it does pass right by and there's not too much thought put into a slightly unintonated moment. Um, 
and uh, you know in that way you you feel the moment as it's passing and and you're you know you're the the mickey mouse head that goes along the lyrics you remember that thing yeah you know i feel i feel like the mickey mouse head when you're live is on the next lyric it's in the moment but in the studio my mickey mouse head is on the lyric i just sang to think ah, was that was that it Ooh, was that was that good enough and that's something i need to to train out of myself because you need to give the trueness of it, not the perfection of it, or, you know, the it, give the trueness. Um, so do, do I like one better? I, I'd say the live I like better because I'm still learning on how not to be as precious and as exacting when it comes to the performance, um, you know, uh, letting it be true and knowing that, there are ways there's grace that that knows whether this less than perfect thing ah maybe we should do it again or does it just feel true and we shouldn't you know one of the many questions that just swirl around in your head and probably make the the live performance more fun than than the studio for now but we're all on the journey that's right. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a path. It's a path we're yeah. on. Um, so yeah. the 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 latest album came out last year, Emerald Blue. Um, absolutely uh, beautiful. Um, this was um, um, a uh, product of uh, the uh, pandemic. Is that is that right? Did I read that correctly? Certainly. Yep. I, I think whether or not they were all written, that you know, some of them were nearly finished. But it, it, as with, I think a lot of folks with. 10 guitars in a room and stand most of their time in a van. Um, it was good for me to get back home to these drafts of songs that were in the desk and the guitars by the wall and visit them and them alone, you know, finish these songs and, um, you know, let the ideas become songs. Don't just, you know, um, leave them, knowing you'll get to them at some point and take the next gig and the next gig and never say no. Uh, I think if nothing else, the pandemic for me, um, and, and let me be sensitive to the fact that I know that it was not like this for everyone. It was, it was really hard and tragic for a lot of people. Um, for me, it was spending time in a room in my mind and time that I had never given myself. Uh, and hopefully it was a lesson in, you know, a proof of concept so that I might actually, by my own volition, give myself that time in the future. So, you know, I, I would write, you know, finish a song every other day, it seemed like. Uh, and I would, uh, the way to share it at that point, it felt natural to make a video from my room, you know, and post it on the socials and call it quarantine song number 13. You know, I didn't try to think of a clever name, just called them quarantine songs. But um, I think I released about 32 of them. And then, uh, you know, I started up the Patreon, which felt like the right move. And there were another 12 or 14 tunes on there. So there was a bunch of bunch of songs and, and, and Emerald Blue was, you know, kind of the distillation. All right. Which of these should we record? And, you know, that was Emerald Blue. 
That's that's incredible. The um the, the that whole uh time period is just so weird in that it feels mm-hmm. like it was yesterday, but it also feels like it was ten million years in another life ago. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, it was just it was it you know I I don't need to tell anybody. Everybody knows it was this you know undescribable uh clusterfuck. But mm-hmm. um but one of the things that that I always like to talk to people about, and one of the things that like uh, this this was birthed from the pandemic is like the good. Mm-hmm stuff that came out of it you know mm-hmm. the the ability mm-hmm. to kind of um refocus and reframe and and kind of find ourselves and and understand you know what what are we doing and and is it worth it you know and, yeah. and so the, the, the those of us who who made it out with something like I, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world that i was able yep. to find something like that um uh, re- recording this and, and, and releasing it, um, you know, um, was revisiting any of those songs, uh, uh, any kind of challenge or, or were they kind of all written from a, a place that it was easy enough to, you know, come, come back and rework, like to get back into that headspace, I guess is what I. Yeah. I, I don't, none of it felt like a struggle in that sense, but I'll tell you, I think part of the reason for that is, I feel like I feel a little bit like I'm riding a wave and I mean that in a sense that had I started 5 years before I I would be underneath the wave right now you know I would have been the songwriter who hadn't figured out how to make a living doing it yet I'd still be you know trying to split up tip money with a band and feeling bad about it. And the pandemic may have been a good reason to stop trying, you know? Um, I don't know that, you know, it, when it comes to songs, I, I would have had to write songs. This is, this is what I have to do. I just don't know if had I not had an opportunity to prove to myself that I could make a living as a songwriter, you know, what about those people? You know, the people who, what about the person who moved to New York, you know, with a plan and a dream and just got shut down and now is in a shoebox apartment kind of stuck, you know? I, I thought a lot about people who were, maybe maybe they were uh, on going the same direction as I was with their dream. They were just a little bit earlier. I, I was really lucky to be in a place where the downtime is exactly what I needed and could afford, you know, um, that, that is the luckiest thing for me. And I, you know, if there's anybody listening who gave up the art in that time. I want you to know that I was in my room thinking of you and, you know, don't give it up altogether. Just, you know, that was that was an extenuating circumstance, an external thing. And there are probably certainly people out there who need the art that was stifled by that happening, you know. Definitely, definitely. It's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. Um, so, you know, you're now, um, touring, touring this stuff, um, and, and playing it out. What is, what has the reaction been like to it? Um, the, the new material. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think 
in in that sense of you know it keeps moving forward and, and becoming more heartening i remember the first record probably took five years before anybody in any regular clip let me know that songs on there were important to them second record probably two years next record a year six months not sure but this one people are singing along and telling me how much they like the songs you know uh, on the first promotional tour you know and um you know i think that that does that it sure it might be a product of that particular record or those particular songs but it's also a product of the the building of those songs you know somebody hears a song five years old and tunes into who is this andrew Duhon guy and sees his new record decides to listen right it all compounds on on itself and uh but that that's that's a nice piece you know to know that i'm trying to be the kind of songwriter that uh, when I say at a show, I've got a brand new song, people might be as excited to hear that as they would be to hear the one that they like the most, you know? Oh, you, you know, they like what happens next is the question that you would ask in a, in a good story. And, uh, I'd like to believe that I'm trying to answer that question over and over again. That's great. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the things, one of the, the uh, other silver linings of the, the pandemic and the benefits is I feel like um, artists and listeners have become a lot closer, you know, and like, you know, through the pandemic, you know, the musicians that we love and the people who love us, like that bond just seemed to like strengthen. And now it's mm-hmm. like, and not just that, but like musician to musician, like I, I just, there's something that like almost feels, you know, it's kind of like we were talking about with, with Katrina and catastrophe yep. that like yep. this brotherhood in, in the music community doesn't feel as cutthroat anymore. And it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like, I, I don't feel like I had a problem a long time ago. I've gotten over it, but I used to feel um, like I had to fight every audience. All right. Like I had to Mm. fight for their love and stuff like that. Whereas now, like it's a completely different thing. Now I love, I love the audience so much that like, I just, I want to, I want to, I want to give them love. I want, I want them to feel like the love from me instead of me feel the love from them. And and 98% of that came from the pandemic. Like it came Mm -hmm. from like, you know, um, doing live streams and uh, on like a Friday night and, you know, someone sending a tip or something like that, you know, or, or even not even a tip and not even financial, but just like, you know, seeing seeing the little likes go up and stuff like that it was it was it was a weird thing because like you know you you lost the ability to kind of connect in a physical way or you know in in a, in a shared space but we 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 went out of our way and found a way to still connect and still reach out and kind of entertain and be entertained and it's it, like it, it's the only, it's to me one of the only good things that came out of all of that horror you know that's great, man. Yeah, it's it's the figurative image that of the, the 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 power going off after the storm passes, and we all come outside, and we're talking to neighbors we've never talked before. You know, the next part of that story is you clean up and life goes back to normal, but you look at that neighbor differently. Yes, you, you know, you 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 spoke and you shared. Uh, you know, a moment together and now things are different. Yeah. I feel that too. I I like that a lot. And, and as uh, when it comes to, I think, especially what we might call the banter in between songs, um, 
I'm certain that, you know, there was something I was trying to hold back because I thought I had, you know, an idea of, of the person who sang these songs, the place from which they come from me. I need to kind of focus myself in between songs in that direction, you know, but no, I, I don't do that anymore. I just, I'm, I'm funny sometimes, you know, I'm talking a weird accent up there sometimes, you know, just, you know, just. I'm like the same guy that's in the van, you know, with the fellas. Just be that guy and let the songs be from that earnest place and let let me be me in between the songs. And yeah, that that was that was about the becoming less precious for sure. And stop pretending like, you know, it 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 uh it has to be so focused. Like people won't get an earnest song from somebody who just cracked a joke as if people aren't that complicated themselves, you know, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, at this time, would you like to go through the jauntlet? These are my uh, questions that I ask every guest uh, that comes through here. It starts with the one hit wonders and these are just who you prefer. So it, it starts off always with Billy Joel or Elton John, who would you take? It's um, it's Elton John for me. Okay. But, uh, you know, well, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, I, yes, yes, it is Elton John. I, you know, and, and I will say that neither of them have done a lot for me. Is that okay to say? Can I say yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, no, no. It's totally, absolutely fair. I, I like them both. But that, that was the one I did see your list. And I, I thought that one, I would trade both of them for picking two on another list, but I know that's against the rules. Anyway, we can move on. No, go, yeah, no, <laughs> it works. It <laughs> works. Uh, the next one, Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? Uh, Joan Jett. Although I, you know, you want to talk about bringing something, you know, you want to make like ovaries sound like balls, you know, that's, they had balls, you know, ovary did. balls. You know, and, and I think just Joan Jett's, you can feel every piece of energy just in a track. So what would she have been like live, you know? Yeah, that's special. But I, I like them both. I love it. I love it. Next one, Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? I'll go with Aretha. Like them both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Nirvana's Nevermind was important for me. And, and I like them both, but I will say... Pearl Jam, even early on, you know, it, the words were important and I couldn't always decipher them. It looked, I probably usually couldn't decipher them in a Pearl Jam song. So that was a bit hard, but I, I dug that too. And I ruined my babysitter's cassette uh, of the Pearl Jam record. Can't remember which record it was, but um, I stuffed it in my backpack and hid it from her. She'd <laughs> ask for it back. And I thought it was, it was the most conniving you know, silly thing that I did as a kid, but then she found it and I was busted and I felt, Oh, it was the worst little shit for doing that. But yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to own up to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Uh, the next one, Janis Joplin or Stevie Nicks? Definitely Stevie Nicks. Um, yeah, that's a, it's energy and aura, you know, the story comes from, uh, it's, it's like a character, you know, that, uh, witchy character you know goddess sage yeah um stevie next for me on that one 
That's a package there. That is a package. Uh, the big one, Beatles or the Stones? I'm going to go with Beatles here. Um, I don't even think it's apples and oranges, though. I think it's like... Uh, I Also, I think... What's that about? Because I can compare an apple to an orange. Yeah, right. But I, But I can't compare an apple to like... Like uh uh Mick, Mick Jagger is like a flightless pterodactyl or something. <laughs> yeah. I can't I can't compare those two things. You know, I picked the Beatles because they like the stories, the the worlds that they created and and like the musical things that they did, uh just interesting and groundbreaking. And uh and with the stones, it feels like like rock band energy, like undeniable, but Maybe I just don't get it enough to compare the two, but, it, but I, yeah, I, I Beatles guy. All right. All right. I like it. I like it. Uh, the last one of the one hit wonders, Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven? I like Bohemian Rhapsody in that because, um, you know, that, that idea that, uh, uh you, you take chances and, you know, uh, there are obvious places to go in a song. Um, and then there are just chances that someone takes. And, and I think that that queen stuff takes chances and that song in particular chances were taken, but it works, man. It's crazy. How do you do that? Yeah. That's, that's, that's my pick. I think one of the most underrated things about Bohemian Rhapsody is everybody focuses on kind of the, the operetta in the middle of it mm-hmm. as you know, how, <clears throat> yeah. you know, out of left field you know, where it comes through. Mm-hmm. But to me, that third act when it just starts rocking is just, mm-hmm. it soars and it like, mm-hmm. it just, it screams so loud. And like, I still remember one of the first times I ever heard it. Like I, I, I wasn't like, it builds and it's mm-hmm. like the most beautiful release yeah, <laughs> captured, man. you know, like, and that's my favorite thing about me. Another favorite thing about music is anything that builds it has to have a release that that equals mm-hmm. the buildup. And mm-hmm. that one pays off in just, you know, exponentially. That's nice, man. I like that. And and uh, the guitarist whose name escapes me, but it's Brian just May. like yes. Brian May. Oh, my gosh. Just yeah, you like you can come up with that piece, but you got to have the slinger who's who knows how to bring that kind of energy with the solo, and he does, man. That stuff's crazy. It's awesome. Uh, the next section is the top ten countdown. As we talked uh, prior to uh, hitting record, John can mean anything you want it to be. It doesn't have to be music; it could be movie, person, place, anything you want it to be. But uh, okay. number one, what was your first John? What was the first thing you were obsessed with when you were a little kid? Oh, okay. Um, I, I, I like John in the looser terms. I was thinking it should be like jam, like music, but I like this better. Okay. The first thing I was obsessed with was Jimmy Houston outdoors. That was a fishing show on ESPN where this guy with like a, a, like a country blonde, bold haircut and his like wrap around, uh, uh, blue blocker glasses went bass fishing, man. I thought I wanted to be a bass fisherman. I would watch that fishing show, you know, out of left field, but that there it is. There's my first John. That is a fantastic answer. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah. Number two, what's your current John? What are you into right now? Okay. I'm going to go with music on this one because uh, fairly recently a song slapped me in the face for the first time in a while. And it was uh, a song by Monica Martin and it's a version with her and uh, she and James Blake. 
and and I, I believe there's a studio track of this song as well, but it's this Monica Martin and James Blake version of a song called um, Go Easy Kid. The chorus is Go Easy Kid, It's Only Rock and Roll. And, uh, you know, it, it, it works if you're not a musician, but if you are a musician, you can take it literally. It talks about uh, we were talking out back by the garbage cans about the dreams that we have and our five-year plan, uh, you know, and, and uh, I was, you know, in the park holding hands with someone who said, remember, you know, who we were before you got in that van. It is, and then the chorus, go easy, kid. It's only rock and roll. It was like she was speaking to my soul. Go e And in this moment where I'm trying to become less and less precious, go easy, kid. It's only rock and roll. It moves me so much. And she is such a, a singer. Uh, it's uh, that's, that is my current John. That's <laughs> awesome. I haven't heard it. I, I definitely, as soon as we finish this, I'm going to have to go check that out because yeah. like that, that is a mantra, man. That feels good. That feels real good. Truly. And the bridge, incredible. Yeah. The whole thing. It's awesome. Uh, number three, what was your first concert? What was the first live show you went to see? Mm -hmm. Um, I'll tell you, well, the first one I bought a ticket to was before junior high, getting with some buddies. We went to the Superdome. You know, somebody's mom dropped us off. You know how it goes. Um, it was B.B. Mac opening for the pride of Louisiana, Britney Spears. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, we were all crushing hard, you know. It was, uh, that was the one, yeah. That is a fantastic first concert. I love that. <laughs> that is so yeah. good. Uh, yeah. Number four, what was your last concert? What was the last live show you went to? Uh, buddy uh, invited me a couple weeks ago. I don't go to enough shows when I'm back home. I guess it's kind of like, you know, you're cooking in the kitchen all week and then you go back home and somebody asks you if you want to cook in the kitchen. But um, uh, he invited me to a drive-by trucker show. So we went to that in New Orleans. And uh, yeah, it's just good to hear, you know, some some of that like Southern rock, you know, lyrics, obviously up front. And uh, yeah, that was cool. So uh, you are um, playing uh, Sellersville Theater uh, in this area on May 7th. Um, are you in here that whole weekend or? Um... No, I, I think we're we're uh, we're kind of bopping along. We don't have a whole lot of off days. I think we're going to have a moment on the Jersey Shore, maybe. Um, and we got a buddy there who's got a, a, a place to put us up. So that'll be kind of our leisure moment. But mostly, man, it's. We're turning and burning, you know, yeah. Okay. Well, people will see like on your, on your tour, you know, that you're going through this and that place and they'll say, Oh, make sure to visit this or go check out that. And I, I don't hate to break it to them all. And I appreciate the suggestions, but we never make it to any of that, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The, the day before you guys are playing, um, uh, well the Friday and Saturday before you guys are playing, uh, there's a, yeah. um, a festival in this area that just started mm -hmm. called uh, sing is home, um, that, um, Dave Haas, uh, put together and drive by truckers is playing the night before you're playing. Oh, so no <laughs> it was, uh, just a kind of oh. synergy that, you know, that would be your last concert. <laughs> Crossing paths, you know, constantly crossing paths. That's right. Uh, number five, what was your favorite concert? What was the best show you ever saw? Okay. Um, well, there was a moment at the old New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. Um, 
you know, is who's who every year, all kinds of acts and, uh, been very lucky. You know, I'm almost trying not to say too much because I feel like they've booked me like nine years in a row, which is so kind. And you know, these festivals need to diversify and change up their lineup. So I feel really lucky that they've, you know, been willing to book me every year. And it's, it's truly a highlight of the year every time, but you also, you know, get to go check out some other shows. Right. So, uh, Willie Nelson was the one that I had to go see and it was raining that day. So, uh, I, you know, was well equipped. I had brought my rain boots, you know, the, not, not duck boots. I'm talking, you know, like shin high, nothing's getting in snake could try to bite my ankles. I'd be good, you know? Um, and you know, most people weren't that well equipped. There was this ditch in the fairgrounds and it was full of water and everywhere else was packed. You know, I didn't get out there in time to get a good spot or anything, but there was this ditch. And so I walked that whole ditch nearly up to the stage and I just stood in the ditch and watched Willie Nelson for the first time. I had never seen him, you know, and he was important to me. He, he's, he is incredible. Uh, and, um, to know, you know, it may, may he live forever, but to know that he's getting up in years and to see him that close, it felt gentle and it felt true. And I love that I was in shin deep, you know, water, watching Willie in the rain. I think that was it. That's incredible. There's this like a uh, reverse Moses kind of metaphor that mm. I'm, that I'm seeing there. Like, instead yeah. of the seas parting, there was a sea put there so that you yeah. could get, so that you could get up close. That's awesome. I love that. That's like a, that's a beautiful picture. Oh, thank you for the reverse Moses. Why didn't I see that? Of course. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Nice one, dude. Yeah, thanks. Um, number six, who have you never seen live that you wish you would have? They can be living or dead. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, New Orleans is chock full of, of these these sort of uh, underlauded uh, uh, musicians. Um, and the one that comes to mind in terms of, yeah, I, I get that feeling that, man, I wish I could have seen him, was uh, Snooks Eaglin. And uh, he was a blues guitarist and singer soulful voice, beautiful guitar player. Um, you know, it, it, it was kind of like if Lightning Hopkins, who was from the Texas Hill Country, was from New Orleans. You know, he had the kind of Delta bluesy feel, but it was straight out of New Orleans. Um, and he played at, like, the bowling alley juke joint, you know, that was down the street. And I was just a little bit too young to go. And um, And, you know, he passed away probably man, 15 years ago now, but there was a, there was a window in there where I was old enough and I just didn't have the sense to go checking out, but I, I would have loved to. Those, those are the misses that always, that always hurt the <clears> most. The ones where you're just like, ah, I could go tonight and check that out, but you know, I'll catch it next time or I'll just see a, yeah. that happened to me with, um, Elliot Smith. He was playing, oh, yeah. um, in town and, and I was like, ah, all right, I'm going to miss this tour, but I'll catch him next tour. And then like within months he was gone. And I was like, ah! like, <laughs> yeah. And it could be that you just didn't get to those songs or that record, you know, yet. And yeah. uh, that was certainly the case for me with Snooks. And, you know, I guess all the more reason that when you see the pr promotional bills go up, if something catches us, maybe we should eh, let me hear that record real quick. Just see if, you know, this is a thing. That's right. Just yeah. indulge and, and, and give it mm -hmm. the shot that it, that it mm -hmm. might need, you know? Yeah. That's it. Number seven, uh, name an unappreciated, John. Name something you wish had some more attention to it. Hmm. 
there is a songwriter whose name is Jesse Winchester. And, uh, you know, I'll say that his live records are impeccable. I don't even know if they're record. They're just, maybe they're bootlegs because they sound like that. They just sound like people at a, like a wine club or, or, you know, like a wine bar, but he's playing and his right hand finger picking stuff is intricate and amazing. And he never misses a note. His voice is beautiful and his songs and, and, and rhythm and rhyming are so clever. Uh, he is an incredible songwriter. But then, you know, I guess part of me, I think if I were to venture a guess, I think his studio albums don't hold a candle to the way he sounded live and uh, just, you know, subjective opinion. But uh, yeah, he was incredible. And I hope that his live stuff gets out more and more because it was, he was something. Uh, that's another one I didn't catch live. And I put him into that last question too. But uh, yeah, an amazing, amazing performer. That's an amazing thing to me um, when an artist live transcends something that just can't be captured, essentially, because there's there's a lot of artists like that mm-hmm. who like, you know, and, so, you know, a lot of times this is why I like festivals a lot, because there's, you know, I'll go check out a stage uh, of a performer who like, yeah, they have a song that I like or something like that. And it mm-hmm. might like change my life and be like, oh, my God, like I didn't I didn't know I didn't understand um, and so like, you know, that, that kind of, that kind of thing almost feels like, um, like a hidden secret, you know, like you're being let in on something like, oh my God, not everyone knows what they're missing here. Like how special this is. And I always love something like that. You know, and I, I won't, I will have to admit as well. It, it, it allows a certain amount of, 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 I, I'm petrified by the idea that, what if what if I'm, you know, creating the tracks that don't do the songs justice, you know, that it makes you go down that avenue and start to worry about that. But you certainly you can't seize up when the red right. light comes on because you'll never give the truth that way. But it does make you think it makes you think, you know, it's a uh, what is the truest nature of these songs, you know, and trying to trying to give it to people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, number eight. What is your favorite album? This is this is a question that that to me can't possibly have a right answer. You can uh, put any parameter on it too, like any, anything you want. Like, uh, yeah, uh, it, it, there's there's no wrong answers essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no right answers either. Uh, right. But let's see. So, <laughs> I think uh, the thing that comes to mind, you know, it's like you know, all kinds of records are like benchmarks for you know helping us realize something, right, or getting through something. But I think. Um, Van Morrison's Astral Weeks, I think, was important to me in hearing somebody who had clearly demonstrated themselves as a songwriter, then using their voice, almost like, not not even just the voice, the lyric as a jazz instrument, Uh, 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 like, um, like, like, like lyrical impressionism in the moment, somewhat. You know, I'm, I'm sure most of it was probably written down already, but some of it, you know, repeating a certain lyric, you're deciding that if you were to write that lyric down, you would repeat, you know, it, it, it's, that was fascinating. And, and what I understand in the background of that record is he got together with musicians who are consummate jazz musicians without a whole lot of, um, you know, rehearsal of any sort. They were all kind of, feeling 
the song in the moment. And, uh, and, and so there, there, there are stories in it, there are narratives, but some of it is just, it feels abstract and, uh, and performative and impressionistic. And I, I had never heard a song that way. You know, I grew up listening to old country songs and dad's car and I, a caravan. It was Dodge caravan, by the way, you know, the one with the, uh, the wood paneling across the faux wood paneling yeah, across the burgundy, sure. that one, that's the one, if you want to picture it. Anyway, we're in the van. And we're listening to like a three and a half minute short story by great country writers, you know, and ain't that way as much anymore, but that was something. And that's what I thought a song was until I heard Astral Weeks, which proved to me that it can be something completely different. You know, you can use it, use the lyric as an instrument. Fascinating. Yeah, that album, that album absolutely slays me. And one of the things that stands out to me uh, on that album, and it's the same thing that like, I have a weird attachment to um, Blood on the Tracks by Bob Dylan, but not the <clears throat> um, not the release, but the uh, sessions that he did in New York that he re-recorded, like the, the earlier cool. versions of them. And both <clears throat> of them, what it is, is the sound of the bass on those albums is such a a dominant character that like uh, when whenever I need to point to something of like what I what I look for in a bass sound it's those cool. two albums like they just yeah. they drive man and they just feel so good and like I feel like it just grabs you by the spine and is like all right we're going on a ride here we go you know <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's as as someone who is the songwriter not the musician so to speak it's it's always affirming to find those sounds and places wait a minute, there's a snare drum I like, you know, that's cool. Or a, a, yeah, a, ba a bass sound and to be able to, to point at those. But I remember not that long ago, I, I never would have noticed those things separated, you know, in my mind and known that I was appreciating those things. But isn't that interesting that most people listening to these songs, they're feeling those things, you yes. know, they are, they are feeling those things, but they're not, they don't know it's those things that they are feeling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you know what it is. Uh, the, the, there's this there's this concept uh, that I that I kind of is, it seems to make sense to me. But they say that mm. you know um, human memory is created um, um, looking back. Um, uh, your first memories kind of cor correspond with when you start to learn language because you can start to assign um, mm -hmm. a meaning to these thoughts and stuff like that. And I and I feel like that um, with music, like once I started to like play music and stuff like that, because nice. I feel the same exact way as you. Like I, I am by no means a musician. I am mm. primarily just someone who plays music because that's the only way that I know how to make the sounds that I, that, that of mm -hmm. the things that I create. Right. Um, but once I started to learn you know, um, you know, different instruments and different in different techniques, different recording techniques and stuff like that. It kind of gave me the language to understand what it was I was appreciating of of certain things. And then I started mm -hmm. to love them even more. It's just being able to define it, you know, like yeah. it's an, yeah, it's, it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> seeing seeing the texture or something. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Paying attention to a brush stroke, so to speak. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Um, number nine, name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they release. Um, I feel like it's, it's, a uh, it would be kind of cheating to name someone who is either past or no longer doing it. 
because you know any you know i have to i have to stand by whoever i say because they're going to come out with something i haven't heard if right. they're still doing it so in that respect i would say i think i need to hear anything connor oberst has to say oh my you know? god yes uh just talk about you know every line is is important you know every line has been felt and written and and the way with which he can weave the thought in lines that rhyme nuts man beautiful yeah. stuff yeah the 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 guy is just a phenomenal talent man uh, just you know like i i i some some of the phrase turns i just can't even comprehend like wh where you pull them from you know like it's, right. it takes a it takes a mind to be able to yeah. uh, harness that you know yeah all all of all of those that weaving and within that weaving just pounds and pounds of flesh you know truth things that cost somebody something to say yes um, i i don't know another songwriter who who quite has that that kind of you know blood in it to me absolutely absolutely uh the 10th and final of the top 10 countdown what is your favorite john of all time again it can be anything you want it to be i was thinking about music but now that i understand john as as way more open you know part of me wants to you know come up with some brilliant just joie de vivre thing like a brownie sundae and a cold beer after a long day but no i, I should let's keep it musical it's you know it, uh, once again impossible to like all time so hard but probably the most centering thing Besides Bob Dylan and John Prine and, and those usual names, the person who I think um, was most useful to help me kind of point me in a direction, it was Jim Croce. Um, and and I think about I think about taking in all kinds of art with a certain question, and that is like, what would my what? How did my world change before and after I knew that this particular art existed? You know, and, and what would my world be like without knowing that this art is possible or this was said? Um, you know, Jim Croce was not, you know, the Bob Dylan lyricist, but something about his approach, his stories, um, his style of guitar playing, they I think they pointed me in a direction as much as Bob Dylan did. You know, good answer. Good answer. I love it. I love it. So uh, as we as we kind of stated here, you are playing uh, the Sellersville Theater uh, right uh, in my in my neck of the woods on May 7th. Uh, you're on tour right now. Um, the the uh, tickets are still available uh, for this show. So I hope everyone uh, can pick that up. And the the latest album, Emerald Blue, is out. Um, Andrew, I this was a phenomenal conversation. I'm like super excited that we got to have this. Um, if any of these good, cool cats and kittens that listen to the show would like to find you on the internet what's the best way to track you down yep um you know andrewduhon.com is easy that's d-u-h-o-n uh you know i'm on the instagrams and the facebooks uh haven't really gotten into the tiktoks but uh let's see yeah it's it's, it's andrew duhon or andrew duhon music yeah it, that'll be the the social meds 
And and yeah, I, I share your sentiment that this was a great conversation and, and you're an excellent interviewer. And uh, I appreciate, yeah, appreciate you feeling like it might be uh, worth the time because I've enjoyed it too. What an awesome conversation. My thanks again to Andrew for joining me on the show today. Andrew's latest album, Emerald Blue, is available on all major streaming services. You can catch him at the Sellersville Theater in, you guessed it, Sellersville on May 7th at 8 p.m. Tickets are still available. And if you would like to find out more about Andrew or find more tour dates and links to all of his socials, you can visit www.andrewduhan.com. Links to all of those are, as always, in the show notes. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo That's My John podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And dudes, it is never too late to get yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com for articles, merchandise, and links to all of the previous episodes of this podcast. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to get all of the updates delivered straight into your inbox. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yo, that's my John for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Yo That's My John and search Yo That's My John on YouTube to find the Yo That's My John YouTube channel. Like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out and touch some John. Yeah, man. So like I said, I'm going to try to get another episode in here before my busy week, but if not, We will be back in May with some all-new conversations. I apologize for the wonk, but I gotta think, you all know me by now, the wonk is part of my charm, no? Blue skies, until next time, everybody! Hey yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure Your taste in music doesn't have to be Yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production Written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0 Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle And the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo-that's-my-john at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout, To the world, yo, that's my John.